Good morning, church. My name is Tyler. Like Jacob said, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. My co-pastor, Matt, is downstairs serving the city like kids, uh, and he kicked us off in our Titus series last week. And Matt, uh, having us look at Titus, said, to be healthy, we have to do right things in the right ways for the right reasons, and we have to ask questions. So I want to kick off this morning with a question. What do, do healthy leaders do? What do healthy leaders do? Unfortunately, we, like Cree, uh, the people on the island, might have struggled to know exactly what that looks like from time to time. Uh, it makes me think of my time as a flag football coach this past summer. An opportunity presented itself in the community for me to get involved, and my son, uh, oldest son right now, he just loves sports, especially football. So I talked to the wife, and uh, she was on board. We signed up, him and I. Uh, we're on the team, uh, and if I'm honest with you, I had this vision that like we were just going to crush all the other teams, <laughs> like mainly Matt Keller's team, okay? I um, appreciate you guys not judging me, but we might have a little competitive edge, uh, but they didn't go that way whatsoever. You see, Matt's team had like all of the hardcore, like cutthroat kids. I'm not even joking. They earned the appropriate nickname, the Shin Kickers, because... <laughs> After one of the plays, one of his kids came up to one of my kids and kicked him right in the shin, right? So that was dirty, <laughs> but uh, I had like all these calm, you know, like mo just monotone, uh, just eager to learn kids, uh, and he, on the other hand, not so much. You, you know, they say that we're a product of our upbringing, our environment. Like, <clears throat> could you imagine the huddles with Matt? Like, all right, come, kids, get in here. All right, win at all costs. Kick him on the, in the shin <laughs> on three. Ready, break, right? So it was fun, uh, but I quickly learned knowing about football isn't enough, right? That doesn't translate really well to a bunch of six, seven, eight-year-olds who are learning the game for the first time. Uh, what I learned about my leadership was that I could know something, but I also had to show them and sometimes even like go with them and run the routes. So when we got the playbook, that made things a little easier, but there's times I literally had to just like, all right, follow me, do exactly what I do, right? And I run the route, and I would cut in, and somehow they would still go right when I said go left. <laughs> but I had to show them which way to go. Knowing about the game is one thing, but showing and going is what Titus is going to reveal to us about what a true leader does. That was my experience of the 2021 Red Oak flag football team. Uh, and chances are you've ex experienced both good and bad leadership in your life, right? like a boss who modeled it for you. Like they're willing to come alongside you, get his and her hands dirty to finish the project. But we also experienced those bosses that would push off everything on you and they wouldn't dream or dare do what they ask of you, right? Some of us grew up in like safe homes where mom and dad loved each other. There was security, you felt safe. Other, other of us, not so much. Mom and dad were distracted and distant and you wondered what direction are we headed as a family? It's disheartening when people bear the name leader in the church. And I'm sure, statistically, many of you have experienced uh, poor leadership in the church. It's unfortunate. And can I just say, Pastor No on the side, like, if you ever get hurt here, that is not our intention. I like to say that we will never intentionally hurt somebody. But unintentionally, you might be hurt or wronged. And can I just ask, like, for your grace, if that happens to you, to come up to us, approach us, 
share what the offense is so that we can work towards healing and reconciliation to break this curse, right, of poor leadership. And so our hearts here are not to hurt, but to serve and come alongside and support. We've all experienced both good and bad leadership. And unfortunately, it's the bad leadership that seems to be more prevalent in our day and in the Cretans' day, right? That's why Paul sent Titus to the island of Crete to live there among the people to bring order and sound teaching about Jesus to the church and to do what good leaders do. Paul knows that if leaders would teach what is sound, then there is a chance for the church to be healthy. If men, women, young and old would come together, follow Jesus, show Jesus to one another, and, and surround themselves around the teaching, then there's hope for a people in a place even as evil and wicked as Crete. So there's no different in our culture. Amen? Titus is like the play sheet that I needed to bring direction to the flag football team. And Paul knew the right leadership could lead a church through the craziest and messiest culture like we see in Crete. I want to read Paul's words to you. He, he quotes one of their own philosophers in Titus 1. This is literally what he says. Titus 1, chapter 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Needless to say, they needed some leadership in their, in their life, right? But here is the leadership that they had. Paul, con- Paul continues in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their, their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Can you imagine that kind of corruption, that kind of leadership in the church? Men in it, mainly for themselves, for monetary gain, they had no business being there whatsoever. Crete, our culture, the leadership that you and I have experienced all points to our need for their greater leader. Amen? That ultimate leader, which is Jesus. God knew that he had to send Jesus to rescue and redeem and restore us and show us a better way. Titus points to the ultimate leader in Jesus. It also shows or reveals those leaders that actually know Jesus. So, for the sake of clarity, where are we going this morning? Well, to answer our question, what do leaders do? This is what I think Titus is revealing to us. Healthy leaders know the way, go the way, and show the way. Paul is so convinced that if we just know more about Jesus, we will grow to look more like him. So healthy leaders, they care to know Jesus better. We devote our time to be with him. We devote time to be quiet, to hear from him, right? We learn from him. We walk in his ways. Meditating and memorizing scripture is key to this. The Bible is full of examples of what this looks like. Imagine you are Peter or Mary for a moment, right? Both found themselves in situations that they weren't too happy to be in when Jesus approached them. But standing right in front of you is King Jesus, like the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he says, come follow me. And they literally drop everything in a moment, and they go and follow him as a rabbi, as teacher, faithfully serving alongside of him and trying to get to know them to the the best of their ability. In their time, in their culture, it was the top 1% of people who would be called to follow a rabbi, right? The best, the brightest, and it wasn't men, or women either, is only reserved for men. But could you imagine what Mary and Peter would have felt like in that moment to be called? You got the blue-collar fisherman. You have Mary, a prostitute, a woman. But those are the people that Jesus calls, right? It's the lowly things of the world 
that he uses to confound the, confound the wise. And Paul end up, Peter ended up going on to being one of the greatest leaders in the church. Jesus said that on you, Peter, will I build my, rock, my church. You are the rock. Um, once I will build my church. It's a great honor to be called by Jesus. Healthy Christians know that Jesus' way is best, even if we don't necessarily like it, right? The Cretes taught whatever benefited their agenda. Whatever they were happy about, whatever they wanted to gain monetarily, they would teach that, and a lot of people were hurt and upset because of it. Leaders know that they can trust Jesus even if they don't like what he's asking of us. And Peter gives us an example of what is healthy. I want to read to you something, an account in the Gospel of John 6:66. Jesus is teaching a bunch of people and some of his teachings were hard, and a lot of people didn't like it. And so here's his, their response to the end of his teaching in verse 66. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And here's Simon's response. It proves that Simon was healthy and that Simon knew Jesus. He said, Where else will we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Some of Jesus' teachings are hard at times, Right? And we don't always like it. It's like my kids at the dinner table. Whenever there's anything on the plate with a hue of green in it, immediately they're like, that's disgusting. I don't want it. Gross, right? But parents, just like Jesus, we know that just because something doesn't feel right or look right, it's probably healthy for us anyways, and it's not going to kill us to eat some green beans, right? The thing that Jesus asks of us at times are hard. If I'm perfectly honest with you, there's things that are in this scripture that confront me almost on a daily basis. And if it was up to Tyler, I wouldn't like to choose it or go that way, right? But that's not what we get. That's not what good leaders do. Good leaders know we can trust Jesus even if we don't like how it feels, right? And that's Peter's response to Jesus. Where else will I go? Friends, the world is waiting and longing for these kind of leaders in the church because this is countercultural, right? Yet so compelling. This is what the world needs. This is what the leadership in our church needs it's easy to sit on top of the scriptures, right? Top of the scriptures look like, well, if it's difficult, if it's hard, if I don't like the way that it makes me feel, well, I'm just going to put that away. I'm just going to ignore it. Let's pretend like it doesn't exist. That's sitting on top of the scriptures. The authority of allowing the scriptures to dictate your life is, even if I don't like what it says about my addiction, about my pride, about my sexual desires, right? The relationships are the habits in my life that are unhealthy, I choose to live according to what Jesus showed to me, and by the fruits of the Spirit, even though it's hard, I trust Jesus instead. It's easier to give in to what feels good, to what's satisfying in the moment, but that's not the Jesus way. To teach sound doctrine, we have to know Jesus' way is better and more promising than our own way. Even if what he asks is challenging or uncomfortable, Jesus, that's hard, but I trust you because I know you are my king. And as we teach what is healthy, we will grow, to quote Paul's words in Titus 1, to be more, or sorry, as we teach what is healthy, we will grow in godliness, to quote Titus 1.1. Sound teaching literally means healthy. What is healthy? He's convinced that it works, and it exposes the lie of sin. Sin is always making promises, right? You can probably think of them in your past week. A lie, a sin promise that fell short. The gospel exposes those promises as false promises and points to a God who is bigger and better than anything sin offers. 
this is good news. But the temptation could be to lean towards legalism, right? A list of do's and don'ts. Uh, do's and don'ts. Legalism can't work because legalism doesn't work. Paul said that in, first, in Titus 1.16. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their actions, right? If we just look at Titus 2, verses 1 through 10, it could easily become just a, rule, a list of rules, do's and don'ts. Older men, this is how you should act. Younger women, this is how you should behave. Uh, older, younger people, this is how you should talk, right? Just a list of do's and don'ts. That list can come, become very legalistic. So what does legalism sound like? I just want to spell this out for us so that we can get on the same page. Legalism says you shouldn't do something, right? But the gospel says you need not do this because God's ways are always bigger and better than our sin. Legalism sounds like this. You should not sleep with your boyfriend. You should, not wit you should witness to your friends. You should read your Bible more, right? You should not lose your temper. You should not get drunk. None of those things are good news to someone struggling with those issues. To them, it is condemnation and it sounds oppressive. What the gospel says is this, you need not, you need not get drunk because Jesus offers a better refuge. You need not lose your temper and get angry because you can trust a God who's in control of the situation. Do you see the difference? Yeah. It is not that we begin our Christian life by grace, right? And then continue to grow through our own efforts, trying harder, being better, <laughs> a bunch of do-gooders, right? And we live in the Midwest, so I think we struggle with this, if I'm honest. The Midwest is just be nice mentality, and if I'm good enough, then, well, maybe God will judge all the good things I did at the end of my life, and he'll let me into heaven. That's not the gospel. None of us can earn it on our own. It's a free gift of God. So, leaders know Jesus. Before Jesus in my life, obeying was just for my own benefit so that I could get something out of it that I wanted. Not for God's sake, but for my sake. The gospel says, I do this for the one that has saved me because I know Jesus and what he has done on my behalf. I knew my purpose as a flag football coach, but actually living it out on the field with some of those kids, that was another story. Leaders know the way, but they also go and show the way. So go and show the way. In Titus 2, Paul gives us a different gives different instructions for different categories of people, older and younger. Um, and I want to read to you what he has to say for the older men in the room, starting with verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So this suggests to us that the temptation may to be, gr made to be grumpy, right? The temptation may be to pick arguments or to be cynical, or to be weary of giving of themselves in service. Not healthy, right? We've, we've been around these grumpy men. Uh, many of us have seen Grumpy Old Men, right? It's a good movie. Or Scrooge, he was a grumpy old man. man it's not too early to quote Christmas movies. <laughs> it could sound like this. That won't work. We've tried it before. I don't know why you're bothering, right? If only things were the way they used to be, it wasn't like this in my day, right? But Paul says the antidote for this is to teach what is faithful, what is love, and what is endurance. To teach, or teach faith, love, and endurance. What I love about God is whether you're eight years old or 80 years old, when he calls you, he continues to sanctify us, and he continues to make us look more like Jesus until he calls us home 
Think about some of the heroes of the faith for a moment, right? They grew old, and they still were full of faith and love and endurance. Uh, John comes to mind. If you remember John's story in the Gospels, he got an interesting nickname from Jesus. So Jesus calls John and James to come follow him, and uh, he calls them sons of thunder, right? What a nickname. Um, I wonder if they talked about that on the island of Crete. They loved, they loved Zeus, right? If you get the name Son of Thunder, then I think you're more powerful than Thor. Anyways, uh, <laughs> here's why he called them Sons of Thunder. As they were walking, traveling, they were looking for a place to stay. They came across a town of, Samaris, of Samarita, and the Samaritans came out, and they showed them prejudice on the way. And so John, he looks to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, should we just rain down fire on them? Right? And can you imagine Jesus like, John, how am I going to show anybody the way? if you just want to burn them up the minute they, they irritate you or rub you the wrong way, right? <laughs> what I love about John is that later, when he's an older man and he's writing his epistles in 1 John, he talks about love over 40 times in that epistle. I think there's six chapters of 1 John. You guys can fact check me. But over 40 times he uses the word love, right? And John goes from the sons of thunder to priding himself and in in calling himself the beloved, the one that whom Jesus loved. As John would go where Jesus went and show others the way, John looked more like Jesus. The son, he still had just as much fervency of spirit, especially exposing false teaching and those who were in it to deceive others, but his fervency was tempted by love, not by anger, right? Another example is Caleb's life. Caleb was one of the 12 spies sent to the land of Canaan by Moses, kind of like on a reconnaissance mission. And so as they're, as they're, um, they're scoping out the land to see if they can take it over, uh, they come across giants, like literally men, massive men. Everything in Canaan was huge. The buildings were huge. The men were huge. Even the fruit was huge. The Bible says that they took one cluster of grapes. It was so large that they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two men, Right? Crazy. I don't know what's going on in Canaan, but there are huge men. There are normal men, and then there are the men of Canaan, right? That think like uh, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, right? <laughs> Matt, Matt Keller, and then normal men, right? <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. He's downstairs. It's just easy. I'm sorry. So Caleb and Joshua are the only ones confident that God could give Israelites the victory. But the other men, they were fearful. So despite the giants in the land, they were ready to take it on. They trust God. Unfortunately, Caleb had to wait 45 years until he could see God deliver on his promise. And in this moment, while they're invading Canaan, guess who's right there in the middle of all the action? Caleb. He's in the middle of the action. He's 85 years old. But just as enthusiastic, just as confident in God. Older men in the middle of action. It's a beautiful thing, amen? He has not retired from service, service to God, and that's the kind of older men that Paul wants Titus to reach and to teach. Younger men in the room, we need to learn from the older and from their example to us. But this is a two-way street, right? To be able to ask for respect, we need to be worthy of respect, Paul is saying older men live in such a way that the younger guy looks to you and says, I want to be like them when I get older. You don't want them saying, I hope, that I, lose, I hope I don't lose my radical edge, my love for Jesus and people like them, right? So older women, there's um, similar temptations in 
older women's life, look at verse 3 with me. Old, the older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. One commentator who is older said, it's easy to lose our zeal for obedience, for it to wane as we grow older, for realism to replace a radical approach to godly living. The temptation is to look down on others, right? They're not the wives, daughters, or mothers they should be. They don't serve in the church like they should. Paul says, instead of complaining about what's wrong, teach what is good. Leaders go and show the way to those around them. Church, this is a beautiful partnership within the body. It's multi-generational discipleship happening. It's what is healthy. It works. My older and wiser friends, uh, the next generation needs you. Like, you are needed. You matter. You have a lot of value. And when it came to addressing the church, Paul started with you. If I had more time, I would talk about younger women and younger men. Uh, I encourage you, if you fall in that category, to read Titus 2 for yourself and ask yourself, Jesus, where do you want to grow and stretch me? But for the sake of time, I'm just going to trust Paul's structure. He knew if he started with the older, that would have an effect on the younger. Uh, But it's this beautiful relationship and partnership, multi-generational discipleship, where we come together, lock arms. Um, You show us the way, because you know Jesus the way, and you go, and you're willing to bring somebody alongside of you. And can I just say, I love this church, because we see the older generation being, being all in for Jesus. Like, they want what Jesus wants for this church. It's a beautiful thing. And if I'm honest with you, when it came to uh, having my yes on the table after sitting down with some of the advisory team members here, it, I had an enthusiastic yes. Like, Jesus is doing something new and beautiful here. Uh, they want to see young people reach. They want to see Jesus be edified. Whatever he wants for his church is what they're about. That's a beautiful thing in God's grace. Right now, Danny Robertson and Steve Kolrick are the advisory team members, including Matt Keller and myself. And I just want to preface, like, without Jesus, without the gospel, it's impossible to lead like Jesus. With that in mind, we are looking for faithful men, uh, full of grace, who long to see Jesus build his church, who uh, follow him, have followed him for some time, and brought somebody along the way, who are willing to serve in humility and grace, gentleness, and self-control to show the next generation how to follow Jesus. And so if that is you, can I ask you just to be praying? Um, Maybe you could be a part of the team. To be an accredited church, we need to have one more member at the table. So we have a real need. That's where Luke 10.02 comes in handy, right? The laborers are few. Are the laborers? The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Forgot my Bible. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send them out to the field. Amen? That's one of our prayers here. So what is a healthy leader? It's one that knows Jesus, lives that out, and says, come alongside of me so I can show you the way. And why does any of this matter? Look at verse 10. Paul's, this conclusion for how older, younger are supposed to live. Not piffling, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of of God our Savior. The gospel is the most beautiful thing ever. It's the most beautiful thing ever, but Paul is saying when we have healthy leadership, when we live healthy according to sound doctrine, that we actually adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. We make the gospel on display for a watching world. Friends, verse 11 says that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived 
and he died the death that you and I deserved, that grace appeared to all, whoever would believe in him. So looking at the life that Jesus lived, teaching it to others, and going where Jesus went, doing the things that Jesus did, showing the way while waiting for him to return, the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God is what is healthy. So it's what Paul wanted for the corrupt church in Crete. It's what Jesus wants for this church now, and it is what is healthy. Will you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, I'm just grateful that you showed us the way, um, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Father, I just pray that we would be a church that says yes to Jesus, even in the culture that says do what feels right, do what makes you happy. Uh, Jesus, I pray we'd be so faithful, so devoted to you, in love with you, that we live and step with the gospel, uh, that it's not about just a list of do's and don'ts. Um, we're not performing for you. You've called us into this, and we get to experience your presence, which is, is real, and God, I'm grateful for that. You showed us the way. You are the way, and I pray as we go, God, we would have the grace of showing others in our life. God, I don't know who that is, um, but we know that, uh, God, you have your church here for a reason, that uh, we are all a part of this mission with you, Lord, uh, to, to be a part of reconciling a lost and broken world to yourself. So, God, I just pray you continue to bless our church, that we'd have men unified, women unified around seeing um, and, and doing whatever it takes to see Jesus be edified here. God, we ask for your presence, for your grace as we go. In your name I pray. Amen.